Thank you. Thank you. All right, good morning, Lifeway LA. Good morning, church. Uh, before I say anything else, can the Glendale region make some noise? There you go. I got a lot of love for the Glendale Church, as, as Reese said, that I've spoken here uh, many uh, different times, and I'm grateful for those opportunities that Reese and Mary Kay and the leadership in the Glendale Church and even the membership of the Glendale uh, region have given me uh, to speak and preach the word here, and, and they haven't fired me yet, and so my, my self-esteem is absolutely grateful for that. And uh, it's good to be here with the rest of Lifeway LA. Again, uh, my name is Amir Burton, and together with my beautiful spiritual elegant and intelligent Wonder Woman, and I like to say Wakandan wife. Uh, her name is Jewel, and there's a picture of her there. Again, we lead the, the teen and campus ministry. Reese didn't say it, it's the paradise of the Antelope Valley. You got to get it right. That paradise is the stretch. It's the straight-up desert, uh, but it's become home to uh, my wife and I. It's about an hour uh, of a drive north of here. And uh, my wife and I, we've also uh, brought our son with us today. Uh, here's a picture of him right here. His name is Drew, and uh, he's sitting in the back. Uh, Ralph kidnapped him during that last song and was parading him in the front of the church. But life with him has been awesome. Uh, he's getting all the focus, all the attention, all the love, and all the sleep uh, right now in, in our household. And, and he, he's going to be seven months tomorrow. Seven months old tomorrow, and the time is, has flown by, and and, and, and right now he's in this stage called distracted eating. Oh, yeah, he's in this distracted eating phase. And, and so what that is, is sometimes he gets so caught up with what's going on in the environment around him that, that he'll stop eating when it's time to eat. He'll lose interest, right? And he starts to focus on all these other things. And so the other day, uh, my wife, she left me alone with Drew. Alone at the house. First time father with my son. And and, uh, and, and I was hoping that she was going to come back before feeding time, which did not happen. And uh, fortunately, she left the bottle, and, and so he got hungry, and so I got the bottle, I gave him the bottle, uh, he ate from the bottle, and then he got distracted. All right, so I took the bottle away because he was distracted. I thought, okay, he's done eating. All right, then he started to scream, and he started to cry. All right, so okay, all right, I'll give you the bottle back. All right, gave him the bottle back, and this cycle went on. Where I gave him the bottle, got distracted, started crying, on and on and on. It went on for like four days. It felt like that. Uh, but it was really just 15 minutes. Uh, but, but I was desperate. Now, the desperation I got on Google, and I asked Google, hey, what should I do All right, to feed my son? All right, what should I do? And, and, and I followed the advice of about 30 moms right, on Google, and they told me to do this. I had to blindfold my son to get him to focus and to finish eating. I had to blindfold him like he was on the Bird Box movie or something. It's a little unorthodox. I'm a first-time father. Uh, it worked out, though. It worked out, and, and he actually enjoyed it. He started laughing, and, and he had a good time. All right, but... Uh, but let's go ahead and, and jump on into the Word of God. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 7 here. All right, we're going to read 3 to 9, and we're going to discuss what's going on here. And before I jump in and we all jump into this Word, i got to let you guys know something. All right, I'm what you call a hollaback preacher. Okay, the Glendale region knows that. What that means is I don't like a quiet church. Okay, I'm going to need you guys to talk back to me. If I'm going to feed y'all, I need y'all to give me some feedback. Amen? 
All right, and so to work this out, all right, to facilitate this and to help you out, what I do is I, throughout the lesson, I tell you to tell your neighbor something. I say, hey, tell your neighbor this, tell your neighbor that. And when I tell you to tell your neighbor something, please tell your neighbor what you're supposed to tell your neighbor. All right, if you don't do that, church is just going to be awkward. All right, it's going to be weird, strange, and my self-esteem is going to suffer, and I'm going to have a long drive back home. Then we can avoid all that if you just participate, all right? And so let's practice this a little bit, all right? Let's practice. Tell your neighbor God is good. And we go, tell your neighbor you look good. Tell your neighbor you got the best seat in the house. There we go. We all got the best seat in the house because we all are in the house of God this morning. Amen? Amen. Even if you're sitting up in the nosebleed section and the rafters there. Amen. We're all in the, the house of God. All right. Second Kings chapter 7, starting in verse 3. Please turn there with me and follow along. It says, now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? And I want to stop because that's some good stuff right there. And they said, why stay here until we die? Why just stay putting? So this passage that we're about to read is for those of us in the church that are ready for the next level. This passage, this scripture is for those of us in the church that came here sensing that there's more to gain in our relationship with God. All right, so if you came to church this morning looking for your level up, Tell your neighbor, this is for me. Now ask your neighbor, is this for you? And I hope it is. I hope it is this morning. Verse 4. Verse 4, we got to read this thing. I don't know about you, but I love the Word of God. I love the Word of God. Uh, every part of every scripture in the book is so full because God's Word is alive. Right, that means it's going to speak back to you when you read it. Right, you can read Oprah Winfrey's book club every single day of the week, right? But when you read the Bible, it's going to refresh you. It's going to re rejuvenate you. It's going to renew you, right? And wisdom is going to come out of nowhere. Tell your neighbor, get in the book. The Bible is not an obligation only. It's an advantage. It's not a burden. It's leverage. And we got to see it the right way. So let's read verse 4. It says, if we say we'll go back into our home city, the famine is there. And we will die. That's no good. Conversation continues. And if we stay here, we will die also. That's not good either. So let's go over to the camp of the Aramaeans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. It's a lot of death being talked about. Beginning of this passage, it gets better, I promise. If it doesn't, I'll give you your money back. Verse 5, at dusk they... They got up and went to the camp of the Aramaeans. They, they reached the ed edge of the camp, and when they got there, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramaeans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and, and Egyptian kings to attack us. And so this army got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and, and ate and drank. Then they took silver, they took gold and clothes and, and went off and hid them. 
They returned and entered another tent and took some things from that as well and hid them also. Then they said to each other, what we are doing is not right. This is the day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. The title of the lesson this morning is It's Time to Go. Tell your neighbor it's time to go. See, if you want to get the most out of this new year, you got to make some moves. You got to move forward in your faith. You got to move forward in your life. You got to move forward in your character and all of the above. Tell your neighbor, I'm on the go. See, we can't stay here. We can't stay stuck. We can't stay stagnant. We got some moves that we got to make this year. And this is what we see going on in this morning's text. And there's a lot going on in the passage. And this morning, I want us to explore the conversations these men had with one another. I want us to study out their dialogue this morning. Is that okay? All right, we're going to start back in verse 3. In verse 3, it tells us, it says, They, the four lepers, they said to each other, Why stay here until we die? In other words, they say, hey, we got to do something. And see, that's who we need to be around in our lives. We got to get around people that say, hey, we got to do something. We can't just stay here. We got to grow. We got to move forward in our life. And I love that the Bible says that they said the same thing to each other. That means the whole group had the same mind. And this is a big thing, right? Because if you want to have a year of forward movement, if you want to grow and move forward in your walk, in your relationship with God, you got to make sure your crew, you got to make sure your squad, your people, whatever you like to call your friends and the people in your life, you got to make sure that they not only speak the same as you, but you got to make sure they think the same as you. Why? Because you'll wreck your future connecting with the wrong crowd. You'll wreck and sabotage your destiny, and most of the parents in this room, that's what you want your kids to understand. Is that right or is that wrong? Right? You tell this to your, your, your children. Hey, there's people in life that you connect with, and there's people in life that you need to stay away from. Right? So the temptation here for a lot of us who are older in the church is to say, hey, this is for the team ministry. This is for the campus ministry. They need to learn, and they need to hear this stuff, but my answer to that is, yeah, there's some truth in it, but also this is for everyone in the church, right? None of us, no one is above spending time and connecting with the wrong crowd. I mean, you see this in the book of Jonah. Y'all remember Jonah from the Bible? Right, that book there, Jonah, he's running from God, right? And Jonah in that story, he ends up on this random man's boat, right? And, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this tsunami storm starts, and it starts to attack this man's boat. And, and, and amongst other things, the story of Jonah, it's an illustration of your life. In the boat, it represents your life. And so the people that you let onto your boat, that's the people you let into your life. And I wonder, are you letting people in your life today that are causing you to go through storms? Have you been acquainting yourself with a company of people that will pull you down and, and pull you away from God, away from your convictions, and away from the decisions that you made when you said that Jesus was the Lord of your life? See, see I don't know about you, but, but I know I can do bad all by myself. I know I can do bad all by myself. I know how to mess up 
my own life. I'm good at messing up my own life. And so I don't, know, I don't need people bringing storms in my life. I don't need chaos in my job and in my mind and in my heart and in my emotions. Right? And so in the story, what did the man say to Jonah? He said, Jonah, we love you, but, but you got to go. Right? Tell your neighbor you got to go. I'm just kidding. Don't tell your neighbor you got to go. You need your neighbor. They ain't church with you today. Right? But in the story, Jonah, he paid money to get on the boat. So he invested in his spot on this man's boat. And today we got people that have invested in our lives. What do they say? These are the type of people that say, hey, I was there for you when you had nothing. I gave you a ride when you were being too cheap to take Uber home. (laughs) And sometimes it's other things that they say, but we got people in our lives that have invested in their spot in our hearts, but just because they invested doesn't mean that they still deserve a place on your boat or in your life. Maybe they were there when you were at your lowest. Maybe they they gave you some money, but if they have become toxic to you, and if they're getting you to consider doing things that are contrary to the will and the word of God, they don't need to be in your life. You got to treat them like Jonah. You got to Get them off of your boat and and out of your life. Is that right or is that wrong? And I'm saying all this because some of us are sinking in the name of loyalty. We're sinking spiritually, we're sinking emotionally, and we're sinking mentally all because we were trying to keep that relationship going and trying to stay loyal. But church... Don't let the sentimental you sabotage the next you. The biggest setback to the better man or woman of God that you have the the potential to become occurs when you allow your feelings to get in the way of cutting off relationships that have become toxic to you and your walk with God. And this is not just sentiments. I know we're talking about relationships, but this is sentiments towards other things in our lives and decisions we've made in the past. And and we got to understand that that just because someone has a face and a tone and advice that you are familiar with does not mean that they're always going to be good for you. If they're causing you to betray the word of God, they don't need to be in your life. It's called discernment, church. That's what we got to exercise and that's what we got to practice. We can't allow our emotions to interfere with the assembly of our networks. It can't happen. And some of us say, oh, but so-and-so and me, we've been friends for X amount of years. Oh, but so-and-so and me, we always have fun when we're together. Okay, so-and-so may be those things and add those things to your life, but so-and-so may also be some bad company. And last time I checked, the Bible says, and it still says, bad company what? Corrupts good character. That's the NIV, that's the KJV, that's the NASB, that's any V and version of the Bible you ever going to read. It's not going to change. We got to get this. Furthermore, your current friendships frame your future character. 
What's this mean? In other words, who you surround yourself with, that's who you're going to become. And research has shown this. Research has shown that that you're going to become like the five closest people to you in the next few years. It's going to happen. So look at who you're surrounded by and you're going to see your future. Look at your phone. Look at the people who you most frequently contact in your phone. And you're going to see exactly who you're going to become. And if you're looking at those things and if you're thinking through what your circle looks like, and if you're not impressed by their character, if you're not impressed by their faith, then you need to make some adjustments. It's not worth it. You got to get around people that challenge you, people that call you to hit your knees in prayer, people that call you higher in your marriage, people that call you higher in your faith, people that assist your character. And I'll also add that If they aren't here in the house of God with you this morning, they may not be what your network needs. If they have a hard time joining you Sunday mornings here in church, they may not be the closest people you may need in your life. And like these men here in this scripture, we got to get around people that move us closer. How about that? People that move us, encourage us to keep going. And get closer to the goal that God has in mind for our lives. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Back in the passage, right? The verse 4 here now tells us the second thing these men say to each other. They said, if we say we'll go back into our home city, the famine is there. And we will die. And so in other words, if we go back to where we came from, there's nothing there for us. And we're going to die. If we go back to our past. If we go back to where we formerly lived, in our former ways, and what we left behind, the Bible says here in this passage, we are going to die. Okay, so let me encourage you, people of God, the past is not an option. There is nothing in your former ways. There is nothing in your past, but that's the first temptation That's the first temptation. As soon as we start trusting in God, we put our our life in God's hands. We step out on faith, and and if God does not come through on our time frame, if God doesn't come through on our schedule, what's the first temptation? Man, I'm going back to what I used to do and how I used to live. We're all prone to this. All of us are prone to this. As believers, When God doesn't give us what we want, when we want it, and how we like it, write it down. Our first temptation is to go back to the past and back to our former ways. And and we forget that the past never worked out in the first place. That's why we left it behind. That's why it's called the past. And this is not new. You see this all throughout the scriptures probably best illustrated in the lives of the children of Israel, right? Exodus chapter 3, right? God says, hey, come out of there, and I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and with honey, right? And what do people say? They say, okay, come on, y'all, let's go. We're going to the land of milk. We're going to the land of honey. We're going to the land of milk. We're going to the land of honey. We're going to the promised land. We're going to the promised land. We're going to the promised land. 
We're going to the promised land. 20 years passed. <laughs> but they still singing. We're going to the promised land. We're going to the promised land. We're going to the promised land. We're going 30 years passed. That's when the key changed. We're going to the promised land. We're going to the pro- Are you going to the promised land? 40 years passed. They said, man, where is the promised land? Where is it at? I've been faithful to God. I've been waiting for this promise. I've cut her off. I cut him off. I've done what I'm supposed to do. I've done my part. I gave my contribution. I showed up for God. When is God going to show up for me? Where is the promise? And then the people in the scripture said, we wish to God we were back in Egypt. I almost sat down when I read that. Like, what? We wish to God we were back in that bondage. We wish to God we were back in slavery. They said being a slave is better than the patience of anticipating the blessing of God. And what about us? What do we say today? Oh, I wish I was, I was back in that dysfunctional relationship. It's better than being a lonely Christian. Like you ain't got the house of God and the people of God in your life. I know this sin is wrong. I know I'm not supposed to be doing this. I know what the Bible says about it, but it's filling a void right now in my life that God is taking too long to fill himself. We say the same thing as these people, the children of Israel. You'd rather go back to being enslaved and patiently waiting on the promise of God. And you know, and, 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 and I get it, I relate to it. I'm not condemning y'all, I'm connecting with you. Sometimes it, it takes a long time for God to work. Sometimes it gets long. Yeah. Wait, no, like, okay, Jesus. I've, I've, I've been faithful for 20 years, Jesus. Where you at now? Holla at your boy. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. Right, you ever prayed those prayers before? I get it, it gets long. And the people said, hey, even though the memories of us being enslaved are heinous, even though we're scarred from the way that we've been treated, God send us back to Egypt because our future is not on our time frame. Church, we got to understand that waiting on God is better than any of the former ways that, that you left behind. No matter how long God takes to fulfill his promises to you. And so don't reason with your former while you wait on your future. They said if we go back, the men here in the passage of Kings, the the lepers, if we go back to our former city, there's a famine there. Famine means emptiness. It's barren, no fruitfulness. So there's nothing in your past. That former relationship, that former sin, that, that former character. And we got to understand if we're going to move forward in our relationship with God this year, we got to reject the past. Or right, tell your neighbor, forget about it. Forget about it. And although waiting on your future can get long, we got to remember the virtue of patience. It's called patience, church. 
And you got to step through patience to get to the promise. That's how it works every time. Some of the greatest gifts that God will ever give you in life are on the other side of your patience. On the other side of considering giving up. On the other side of this is not how I expected it to happen. And we got to remember what happens when we allow patience to finish its keyword perfect work. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that you'll be mature, you'll be complete, and you won't be lacking in any of the areas that you have need. And so we got to watch out for this I want it now type of thinking. This I want it now place is a dangerous place for people of God to live in. All right, and so they say if we go back, we die. And, and later on in, in, in verse 4, it says if we stay here, we die also. Oh, so this is for the religious people. I came out. Yeah, but you didn't go in. It's not enough just to come out of something. The promise wasn't to come out. The promise of God was to go in. So it's not enough just to come out and see Jesus. We got to understand that, that Jesus, he didn't die for us just to stop sinning. Just to limit our, our walk with God, just to stopping the things that we used to do. That's not the point of the cross. That's not the point of faith. And that's not the point of Christendom and Christianity and discipleship. And, and I can't stand how much of the religious world today has defined Christianity by the words, don't sin. And then your, your walk with God and your relationship with God, your Christian, your whole Christian existence becomes don't cuss, don't lie, don't sleep with so-and-so, don't gossip, don't sin, don't this, don't that, don't these, don't sin. But that's not the more abundant life that Jesus called us to. That doesn't produce the relationship with God that we all need. We got to understand this, that faithfulness is not just limited to stopping. It involves starting. You know, and Amazon taught me something related to this. Y'all know Amazon.com? Amazon, we all love Amazon. And so when I was in my undergrad studies at, at CSULB, Cal State Long Beach, anyone in here went to Cal State Long Beach? As well, okay, we got one. We got my wife there. Uh, that's where me and my wife met. Uh, Austin School there, home of the 49ers. We got some 49ers in the church. There we go. Not the football team. We're not going to talk about them. Different 49ers. But I got on Amazon.com and, and, uh, and ordered some textbooks. Okay, and, and the textbooks were late. You know, the tracking number said that they were going to show up on a day that they never showed up on. And so when I got that news and I saw that the textbooks were late, I got a little nervous. I'm a student. I'm trying to maintain my, my grade point average. Right team ministry? Right campus ministry? Got to protect that GPA. So I was nervous. Like, man, I'm, I'm not going to do well in my studies. I need my books. And so I got on the phone and I called Amazon. I said, Amazon, hey. Where are my textbooks at? I didn't give them no tracking number or anything, my name or anything. I said, hey, where are my books? <laughs> All right, and the guy on the computer said, hey, we're searching for you. And, and the guy on the phone said, hey, well, sir, the, the, right here it says that 
the textbooks have been delivered. I said, Amazon, I would not be on the phone with you if my textbooks were here. And I'm not trying to get over on you, right, for a $200 textbook that has a textbook buyback value of only $2. Okay, I'm not, I'm not, that, I'm not struggling that much. I just need, need the books that I ordered, right, and they weren't there. And, and Amazon, it taught me something that day. It taught me that, that deliverance is not leaving a place. It's showing up somewhere else. It's showing up somewhere else. And so I know you stopped, but what have you started? Where have you showed up in, in God? It's good that you don't gossip anymore, but have you started outreach? Have you started serving? Have you started praying? It's not about what you came out of. It's what did you go into? You're not delivered until you reach another realm in God. And too many believers today have come out and stayed. They stayed, and then we celebrate coming out. Right? The things I used to do, I I don't do anymore. Like the things I used to say, I don't say those things anymore. Places I used to go, I don't go anymore. And it's good to celebrate the things that you stopped in your life. But it's not enough just to stop when you left something. you got to go into something else. Why? Because the scripture we, we just read, it says, if we stay here, we'll die. And that's true for us today spiritually. And so we got to understand that we're not delivered when we come out. We're, we're delivered when you go in. It's a two-step process. Right? You, repent, you repent, you stop the things in your life, then you're baptized. Right? You come out of something and you go into something else. And when you come out of the waters of baptism, you go into something else. And it's this continual, I'm going into something else. And so you got to ask yourself the question, what have I started since I've been saved? And so we got two statements here. So the, the man said, if we go back, there's nothing there for us. Then they say, hey, If we stay here, we die also. Then they said, if we go forward, the enemy, later on in verse 4, it says the enemy will tear us apart. And then they said, well, let's do it anyway. Let's just go. Right, so here, I don't know if that's the best decision, but here we got these four men walking towards their enemies in hopes that they'll at least be slaves. At the least. If they don't kill us, maybe they'll make us the slaves. And so they're walking feebly, they're walking fearfully, but they're walking faithfully. They're still going in spite of how they feel. And so what does that tell us today? That tells us how you feel is not an excuse to act unrighteous. Just because you got some emotions going on in your heart and and you're in your feelings, that does not give you a free pass to act outside the will of God. It never works that way. And so we got to be self-controlled. These men, they're setting an example for us. And the Bible says that God, in this, in this verse here, it, God caused these enemies to hear this noise, and the enemies, they just ran away. They just left. And they fleed. And so by the time the lepers got there, all they saw was the spoil. Right? The, the, the water, the resources, right? The gold, the silver, and all this treasure. Right? So they saw all these things. And so what's the point here? What's the point of this passage? The point is your prep work clears the path for God to work. This verse is saying if you make the move, God's going to make the way. 
If you show up for God, God's going to show up for you. You got to do your part and you'll walk into God having already done his part. But we got to get our prep work together. This is a lot more than just this last minute, last resort prayer routine. And we've all been there five minutes before something. God do this. God do that. Five minutes before the test. Give me this A on this test, Lord Jesus. Amen. Right, five minutes before the interview. Right, five minutes before things. We, play, we pray these, these, these last routine, these last second and last resort prayers, and, and we've all done it, but, but it's the prep work that comes before the prayers that God is looking at. Right, and we got to look at these men here in this passage. Right, the lepers here, they were in, one, they were in good company. They were in faithful company. Two, they left their former ways behind. So we're not going back there. We're going to keep each other accountable. All right, and three, they walked by faith. All right, so they had done all these things. Then God cleared out the way and cleared the path. And church, we got to understand that prayer, it releases the power of God. But when you submit to his priorities, and so we like the prayer part, but we don't like the priority part that much. Ryan, you can't miss this if you want God to show up in your life in a powerful way. Right? Prayers are answered differently when you live your life underneath the priorities of God. Is that right or is that wrong? I mean, it's right there in the book of James. The, the prayer of a key word, righteous person, is powerful and effective. Not just prayer is power, the righteous person. And so it's a stretch to expect God to show up if you aren't living according to the will of God. And the Bible says it says that Jesus could not do miracles in his hometown of Nazareth. Why? Because the people didn't prepare to receive the power that he came to offer. And it's the same thing in our lives today. God's got power for us in our lives. But we got to do our part. And we got to prepare for it. We got to read the Word of God. We got to confess our sins. We got to build relationships within the body. And, and while we're here on this subject, let me, let me ask you this question is, is he your God or is he your guest? Is God your guest or is he actually your God? Do you serve God Almighty or do you serve some guest Almighty? The life that God is a guest in, that's a dangerous life to live. That's Luke 9, 26. We're talking here that prayer releases the power of God when you submit to his priorities, and he's your God when his priorities become your priorities. He's your God when what he's into becomes what you're into. And so you got to ask yourself if if this is true for you, your, God is a guest in your life if you show face and just play church to get what you want. And here's a follow-up question for you. Right, do you worship him or do you just host him? There's a difference. Some of us today, we, we came and we showed up today worshiping God with the life that we live outside of church. See, we got to understand that worshiping God is not just some following the direction of the praise and worship team and reading off the lyrics when they're on the screen. Worship is a lot more than that. Worship is consistent attendance 
at the meetings of the body. Worship is sacrificing what you need to sacrifice to do what you need to do for God. Worship is welcoming discipline into your life. Worship is serving and meeting needs. It's giving the things that you need to give. It's sharing your faith and it's maturing in Christ. Worship is living in submission to the priorities of God. And so I ask you today, do you worship God or do you just host him? You just invite him in when it's convenient to invite him in your life. In the rest of your week, the rest of your month, the rest of your year, he's just far and removed. Is God your guest or is he your God? It takes more than just a last minute prayer routine to walk into the treasures that God has for you. And wouldn't that be awesome? Just to walk in the blessing. Just to walk in the good fortune. Verse 9 here, as we close out, is going to tell us what we need to do. And it tells us the type of people that just walk in the good fortune in their life. So let's read this here as we close out. Verse 9. It says, Then they said to each other, What we are doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, look at their hearts. Punishment will overtake us. If we wait to do the things we ought to do, there's a, there's a penalty. He said, let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. They said, this is not good for us to keep all this to ourselves. They said, we got we to gotta take this. We got to take this back to our hurting city. Don't forget, this city that they left is, is, is going through a famine. They said, we got to go back to our hurting city. And we got to tell them that there's bread and there's water here because, again, there's a famine in our hometown. Even though, wa- watch this, even though they kicked us out of our city because we had a disease. If you know anything about leprosy, you got banned. You got asked to leave the place where you once lived. Even though they kicked us out because of this disease, instead of them saying, forget them, they mistreated us. They don't deserve all this fortune that that we walked into. They decided to go back to their hometown and to tell the people that left them for dead of all the resource, all the water, and all the food that would bring them out of the famine. And so they decided to share with people who mistreated them. And and they expressed the heart of, my love for you goes beyond your treatment of me. This is the heart that God blesses. This is the heart that just walks into good fortune. And just walks into the treasures that God has laid out for us. This is the heart of Jesus. The heart Jesus had throughout the process of of being crucified. My love for these people goes beyond all all this torture. And there's nothing that they can do that's going to change my mind. This is the do unto others as you would have them do unto you type of heart. And this is the heart that we need to demonstrate if we're going to move forward this year. 
Amen? And see, the thing that strikes me about these four men here is that nobody visited them. No one came to the, no prophet came and told them what they needed to do. An angel didn't come. If you know your Bible, you know angels are just appearing. An angel didn't come and, and direct these people to what they needed to do. They didn't even have Lifeway LA to tell them what they needed to do. All they had was initiative. What if you were your holdup? What would you change in your life if you knew that you were the one holding yourself back? In church, if you want to move forward and experience treasure in 2019 this year, I know we're three months in. But there's things for us still waiting for us that God has prepared for us. And if you want to walk into these things, if, if you want to experience God do incredible things in your life, then you like these four men here, you got to take some initiative. And, and we're all going to take something different home today. And so maybe today you got to move your networks around. You got to change up the people that you're connected with. Maybe for you, you got to move past considering your former ways and going back to the things that, that you left behind. Maybe you're in a place today where maybe this past week you fell back into those things. Today's the day to change that. Maybe for you, you got to start doing more prep work. You got to start prepping for, for God's path to be clear so that you can walk in the blessing. And maybe, like you, for these four men here, it's you got to demonstrate and live with this do unto others type of a heart. Whatever it is for you, I hope you take it home and, and increase in measure as you practice it. Amen? Yeah. Amen. To God be the glory. Thank you.